This is On and Off the Pitch. Okay, welcome to On and Off the Pitch, an interview with Freya Louis. She is known as a campaigner, an organizer, a manager, an administrator, a goal getter. How are you? I'm absolutely incredible, thank you. I'm excited because obviously we've just had the news that grassroots football can return to training. So my mood has come from really low because nothing to do with football's happening to suddenly I can see a select few again and we can kind of get back on track. So I'm doing really well, thank you. That's good. You know something, before we even jump into the grassroots, because that's one of the questions that I have noted down, I do have a list of questions. How have you been um, coping with this, uh, well, the isolation, the lockdown, which has now turned into not so much of a lockdown? Um, I've been coping okay, actually. Um, I've been keeping myself really busy, obviously, with the We Are campaign, um, planning for next season with Needham Market Women. So I've never really had a day where I've not had some sort of involvement in football. Um, and it's, it, it has been hard, obviously, not seeing family and friends, especially like... Um, my, um, my nan as well, it's been very difficult, but with technology like Zoom, like we're on now, or FaceTime, um, I've been coping well and we've been getting, I've been seeing family and friends on that, but on a whole, I've actually been doing okay, and I think it's purely just because I've been keeping myself busy, I've not really had a day where I've gone, what am I going to do? So, yeah. Well, that's good, so I'm glad you've been, you've been keeping yourself busy. So in terms of your your journey into football, where did it all begin for you? Um, it kind of all began when I used to go watch my older sister play. Um, she's three years older than me, and uh, on a Sunday we'd go, and I was too young to play, so they would go watch my sister play when she was uh, under 12s or whatever it was. Um, and then there was quite a few of the younger siblings that I used to kind of kick a ball around with at the sideline because I wasn't really fussed about watching my sister, if I was completely honest, but I was more, I was more entertained by the balls on the sideline. So um, there was probably about six of us um, younger sisters and then it wasn't until one of the dads said, I don't mind doing like a Saturday session. So it's gone from watching my sister, so suddenly I was about seven, eight years old, doing a Saturday session just for an hour at like 10 a.m., um, and then we started getting ourselves into local tournaments and playing just like non-competitive football. And then that's when he kind of said, okay, these girls that have something, we're going to make a team. So from then I played football for about, we were under nines until I think I, I stopped playing under 15s. Um, purely just because I hit that age where I thought, I don't want to play football anymore. You know, boys got involved, makeup and like go and see friends was far more important than playing football to me. Um, so I did have a couple of years out and then when I hit about 18, realised actually I really missed the game and came back playing then. So that's kind of how I got into it. It was just kind of just watching my sister really and then one of the dads just setting up a team and there's a good job he did because I don't think I'd be involved in football if he didn't. Well, so one of the questions I had for you is about, you know, what age did you kind of come back? And so obviously most teenagers kind of drift away if they're not attached to a a professional club but you did drift yeah. away you came back what was it like when you came back in terms of you, you getting in, in more involved in the playing um, it was it was hard yeah. because I've had over six, so many years out I didn't stop sport altogether so alongside football I also played um, at National League netball so I was always constantly active I never stopped doing anything 
Um, but I think when you're kind of that age, and especially when I was back at school playing football, it wasn't it wasn't like a oh great. It was kind of like mm, that's a boys' sport, you know. And that's why I and that's why I chose netball over continuing to play with football. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I came back and some of the girls that I used to play with were still there because it was the same team that I went back to. Um, some were completely different. Um, so it, it, it was hard just trying to get back into like um, the environment of football because netball and football are very different sports. Um, but loved it. As soon as that first training session was over when I, when I rejoined, just loved it again. The love just kind of sprung back very quickly. You know, you say they're both different sports. What, what's different about the two sports? Is it, is it the intensity of the game? Is it the training? Is it the fans? What is it? Um, I think it's the environment. The intensity is very similar. Um, we trained very hard, especially because of um, we played um, regional, so we were constantly training. Um, netball was actually quite a vicious sport. People don't realise that. I think they think it's quite a girly thing when, yes, it's predominantly obviously a female sport, but it, it can get very hard. <laughs> and I've come away with quite a few injuries from netball. Um, so it's not the difference is, isn't in the intensity or anything like that. I think it's more just the environment and way um, it's respected. So you're a female, you say, "Oh yeah, I play netball." It's like, "Oh cool, you're a female, you play football." It's a bit like, "Oh okay." It's 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 just the environment's very different. I find. Mm. And it, 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 just in the responses, definitely, "Oh cool" and "Oh okay." There's the pause. There's the kind of questioning, like, "Really, you play football?" Um, yeah, and quite quite a lot of the time, if anyone I do, who I don't know and I say introduce myself, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm involved in football, they automatically go, oh, what are you like, an admin person or are you a physio? It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Never have been. <laughs> there's scope for there's scope for movement in that direction, I'm sure, but not right now. Not no. right now. Not, not right, right now. now. No, um, you're very young. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you your age. I already know your age. You're very young. So how do you move from playing football mm -hmm. to becoming a manager of a football team? Well, um, so when I restarted football, I went back to my old club um, and I was there for a couple of seasons until Needham Mark actually approached me and said, we want to set up a female division. Would you be interested in managing and kind of heading it up? with their facilities and obviously it was brand new so it would kind of be my little baby in a way I couldn't say no so and there, and there was some things at my previous club where things weren't quite working and the equality with obviously the men's team wasn't there now it's so much better and they're doing really well but at that point when I was there it just it wasn't there so I kind of wanted to get out of that environment um Needham the opportunity came and obviously I said yes and to begin with, I was playing, I was a player manager. Um, and then I got injured pre-season, um, quite a nasty one um, to do with my ankle and all of my ligaments. Um, and it kind of just took me out. And then I had, I just had to kind of think, if I want to manage a team properly and grow this provision to the extent that I want it to grow, I think I need to put my all in. I, I know that people do play a manager, but personally, I don't think it, it works well. It works, but I don't think it can be as successful as if you were just a manager and focusing on that on that element. Um, so after my injury, it kind of made the decision for me, and I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm done playing now. I've, I've had my time, and now I want to develop players, and I want to give other females in our county the opportunity to have what I have. So 
Yeah, you know, that sounds quite a remarkable, swift decision that you made because some people would try and come back from an injury, but you were like, you know, okay, I've had my time. And I, like, like I've already said, I know your age. So some <laughs> would actually think, yeah, I can leave that. I can postpone it. I can still try and be player manager, but you were very decisive in your decision. Why was that? I think, I think it was because I, I knew I was never good enough to be a professional footballer. That wasn't on the cards for me. I think if um, I had the opportunity that girls had today with like the RTCs, the ACCs and all of that, then maybe I would have gone down a different path. Um, but because I knew I was never going to be a professional footballer, I wanted to make a mark on the sport in, in, another, in another way. Playing wasn't going to be it. I knew it wasn't going to be it. I was never going to reach the WSL playing. <laughs> um, as big of a dream that would be, it just wouldn't happen. Um, so that, that was kind of the decision where I got injured. I knew I wasn't going to come back fit straight away because you don't after injury. After seeing um, physios, they also warned me. They were just like, this, this, this injury is serious. You're always gonna, it's always going to be niggling at you. So you can either carry on playing and probably you know, screw your ankle over when you're in your like, 30s and 40s, or you just stop playing. And that was when I kind of, like, that made the decision for me. I just went, well, do you know what? I know I'm not going to reach any, I'm not going to reach anywhere being a player because my ability is just not good enough. But I know the game, I know how things work and I enjoy progressive provisions and that's what I want to focus on now. So you that's know, kind of all how it came about. Yeah. I have to be honest, yeah. that's, credit, that's credit to you because I know a lot, I mean, if I was faced with that decision at that age or any age and they said, you know, your injury is that bad, but you know, if you play, I'd still be asking them the question, can I play? You know, I, yeah. I, can I play? <laughs> I did, I, I did, and obviously I had the physio. Um, they were really helpful and really and really good with my rehabilitation and stuff. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I, something just clicked in me, and I just went, "This, this is it for me now. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I've done, I've, what I've played. I mean, I was captain for the majority of my youth career." Um, I knew I probably wasn't going to kind of get that status in women's just because obviously like the ability and stuff. Um, and I had these group of girls who were looking at me to, to organize training, to organize the provision, to get sponsors in. And I thought, well, I can't then do all of that. And then in my mind go, right, I'm in playing mode now on a Sunday. I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want the, I didn't want to have my head in so many different aspects. I just thought, no, I'm going to focus on one thing. But like with the injury, I did. I, there are times where I do. I do watch the girls, and I'm like, I do really want to get on that pitch. I'm missing it. <laughs> or there's, or there's something that happens. I'm like, oh, I would have got that ball. Um, but I mean, you do with any sport, and I, I just think it's an athlete's thing. If you have an injury and you um, retire, um, you're always going to miss the sport. It, it's a given. But it's it's finding that it's finding that um, that balance where you just you're happy and you're content with your decision and I am I won't be coming back playing not unless it's a charity game or something <laughs> are you still registered though yeah I am a registered player <laughs> just in case just in case I look at the question I thought, what if she's still registered yeah I'm still registered. yeah just in case yeah. just in case because yeah. you never know just to go, I just want to ask you a quick question about the, the players that you manage. Are they, because it's need a market women's football team, right? Yep. Are they close to the location? Is it specific to need a market? What, where are the players from? 
Um, no, we've actually got a range of players, um, some travelling from Lurdstock, some like um, Norwich way, some all the way from like Colchester way. So we've got, we do have, our players aren't just Needham based. Um, they're kind of from all over, which is great because it also brings in a lot of experience from different areas of the county mm. and some who have played in like the Cambridgeshire League or the Essex League. So they all have something to give. It's not, we're all from Suffolk. We all know the league inside out. It's, um, and it's and there's different um, abilities as well. We've, we've got players who have played um, high level who have dropped down from like Ipswich Town Women, um, Cambridge City and stuff. So it's it's a really nice mixture and it gels so well because we've got the, the new girls coming in which are young and it's maybe their first like stick at women's football. And then we've got the girls who are now coming down um, who have played a higher level and they're teaching each other and it's it's just it's really nice to see kind of the gelling in the team with the variety of players we've got. That's really good. In terms of the, the I, I don't know enough, semi-pro, amateur, you know, what, what level, where are we with Needham? So we're tier six which is with amateur football it's um so you've got the county leagues and you've got the regional leagues and then you've got national leagues which is then split into different divisions as well and then obviously you've got your championship and then your WSL so we're still um my reserve and first team are still the two bottom tiers of the football pyramid but unlike men's football it's the jumps are a lot bigger whereas men's football you move up it is a little bit harder and it's hard obviously to get to the top but because there's only well, seven seven jumps really it's but the jumps are a lot bigger mm. yeah and what's your aspirations i would love to be one of the leading football teams within the county for female football obviously we've got ipswich town who have done an absolutely incredible job um, they were like obviously pushed on promotion in their national league um, what they've done is inspiring especially to grassroots teams in the surrounding area like ourselves and I just think if we can not be level or top but if we can be the next thing to town that would be one of the biggest goals I think we'd achieve. That's brilliant. I, I want to ask you a question about your supporters. Mm -hmm. Do you have many and what are they like? <laughs> um, yeah we do um, on an average Sunday I, we don't get a great deal some can be more than others but our cup final um, last year which was held at Portman Road actually against Ipswich Town we had around about I think they counted about 600 Needham fans there watching which for our level of football is insane I think there's about eight, 800 in total which is incredible that's <laughs> um, but they were they're loud they sing songs they made up like chants about the girls which was brilliant and we could hear it from the dugout at portman road um they made banners some of them even had um megan stock was our captain at the time and they made face masks so half of the like some of the um the supporters were actually having her her face on and it was just brilliant they're just really creative and I really wish and I hope that they come to more games this season because it does it's it's the 12th player isn't it you're on the pitch and having all of those supporters chanting your name or singing songs about Needham it gives an extra boost to life and I think that's what we really need and what we need to push this season as well that's that's absolutely brilliant you know what I've realized that obviously you have a life outside of football yeah. <laughs> so what, what is what is the day job for you? 
So the day job is I'm a PR and marketer for a civil engineering firm. Um, so I travel up and down the country taking photos, making promotional videos for our construction sites. Um, so it's very different sport, <laughs> um, but it's good fun. And I use obviously, um, I try and incorporate my media skills with my football as well, with um, obviously what I do voluntary, but full time PR marketer, civil engineering, in high vis, hard hat, steel cap boots. <laughs> that's that that's me on a day-to-day -day basis yeah and how how do you balance that then how do you balance your your day job with a very demanding role of being a manager of a football team organizing training ensuring fixtures are you know met and everything else how do you do that um it is difficult but i have an amazing support network around me i think people often go oh god the manager's got so much work to do um, well, actually, in reality, I think a good manner kind of shares the workload, so you're not overloaded. Yes, it's difficult, and like sometimes I don't get lunch break at work because I'll be on my emails, or I'll be creating sponsorship packages, or I'll be doing something with the We Are campaign. It is difficult, um, but I have an amazing set of coaches who help me. We've got um, Warren, who's our female head coach. He plans all the sessions, so everything to do with training actually isn't to do with me, it's to do with him. He asks me, what do we want to focus on? And I'll give him some ideas and then that's him. He goes away and he plans it. So training is one thing off my list. And um, like you said about the fixtures, we've got um, obviously Alison, our secretary at the club, who, who does an incredible job making sure that she organises our fixtures and um, goes back and forth with the managers, with me as well. Um, so she deals with all the fixtures and I just focus on the girls and how I want to grow them as a vision and kind of get like obviously the sponsorship in. That's my main aim. So... I think it's very important to not overload yourself because if you do do that, I, I think things aren't successful. You're too busy worrying about other things and not actually doing. So as long as you overlook everything and yep, Warren's doing that with the training, Alison, yep, she's got all the fixtures sorted. Um, the club are sorting out like where we're playing that day, if we're on like the grass or the 3G. I just, I think that makes, it makes a team more successful and that's, that's how we work. But yeah, it is difficult and sometimes I come in from work and I go, I don't want to write tonight. I don't want to do my website or I really can't be bothered to do this about the team, but you have to. And then when you do do it, you go, actually, yeah, feel great. But you, you do get tired and there are days where I, I do not do anything. And I think it's, it's good to have that and to be able to put something on hold and just say, actually, no, that can wait a day because obviously it is all voluntary and you do it for the love of the game. Um, but you do need to look at yourself, at the, you do need to look after yourself at the same time. Right, in terms of your, obviously you've, you've listed a number of things which I'm gonna go back to a couple uh, in terms of the training and, and everything mm -hmm. else. With regards to your own development as a manager, I mean, what have you taken on board? Is there particular courses that you followed or is there particular books you read or is there a particular manager in another league that you go to? Who, what is it? Um, right, I think. So actually, I'm only a level one coach. Um, Warren, our head coach, is more qualified than me and that's probably why he handles all of the training sessions. Um, and I, I would love to do my level two, but it's, it's really hard with a full-time job. Obviously, you do them in blocks and sometimes you have to take time off work and I can't afford to do that, especially because I travel around so much of what I do. And it's tricky for me to say, actually, I'm booking this off because I might have to be in Birmingham, for example, when I'm based in Suffolk. Um, so completing a level two is the next thing on my list, but it is hard with my full-time job and it's trying to find 
it's trying to find a way not to disrupt each other um but yeah it's i do have there are many coaches in our league um who i go and chat to they're very open suffolk fa have been amazing um if i have any advice especially the girls and women's development um officer becca bolton she's been an absolute saint sometimes if i've had any questions or queries um so there are people that i go to but i think it's just more self-reading like at the moment i'm reading <laughs> I'm reading a book on how the adolescent brain works, <laughs> just okay. to try and get into some of our younger players' heads and how what they respond well to. So yeah, it's it's it is like outside reading and like researching stuff. But I also think to develop yourself, you need to know your team. You need to know the girls, what they respond well to, because some respond well to you know a big a big kick and go, you know, you're not playing good enough. What's up? What's happening? And then some girls play better when you go. You're not really yourself. Is, do you want to talk? So you, you, it's that balance of getting to know each other. And I think that's how you develop as a manager is when you know your team inside out. Well, that's really great insight from you because it shows that you're invested in other people, but you're also invested in how you could help other people by improving yourself, which is, is, isn't something that you always read about or hear about from managers in any walk of yeah. life, let alone football. So, you yeah, know... Well, that, I believe all, all managers are constantly trying to better themselves. I don't, I, th I don't think you'll come across one manager which goes, oh no, I don't do anything, I just turn up. I, I don't think you'll find them. I think every single manager that I know always betters themselves. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. <laughs> um, if I were to ask you which manager would you model yourself on? <laughs> oh, I hate this question. <laughs> Well, you, that means you've been asked it before, so that you should be fine. Let's go. I have, and and my answer is normally none, surprisingly enough. Um, just because I believe so many different, I mean, you take different aspects of different managers, but you're your own manager and you do things in your own way. I don't think, I think being a manager is completely unique. You can go, oh, we're going to play this style and we're going to use, I don't know, um, Casey Sony's kind of philosophy but then people know you're mimicking another another manager you rock up to a game and they see the formation and stuff you know i know how they're going to play because they're playing the way jill ellis does i think you need to create your own unique kind of element of being a manager and 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 that's what i really try and do with the team with obviously warren and the team with the club as well so i, do, I wouldn't base myself on any manager at all because I, I just think you need to be different to stand out well, that's, that's really good. And I can see that you're going to be very successful, even though you probably think, well, I've got a long way to go. Because you, you, you already understand that you have to be your own manager, but also um, the learning aspects in terms of how you reflect and kind of understand the players around you. Because once they cross the line, it's down to them. Exactly. And we always say that we, we do what we can, but as soon as you're on that pitch, it is down to you. If anything goes wrong, obviously we're there, but... It ultimately it is down to the players and we cannot help you once you're on that pitch <laughs> <laughs> unless you're actually you know silently saying i i could have done that <laughs> yeah oh would not have missed that header <laughs> um what position did you play as a player um so i was either a right wing or a center mid it kind of varied between the two um i was a player that if i had a ball at me by the halfway line or just outside the box and I had a shot, it would usually go in. 
Um, I, I did. That was probably the only skill I had. I couldn't outskill players. I wasn't skillful in that in that sense. Um, yes, I could run, but was I the fastest person on the pitch? No. Um, did I have strength? Yes, but could I hold off every single player? Probably not. But I could cross balls in and I could shoot from distance. That was my only talent, and that's why I was kind of shoved in and um, centre mid because I could read the game and I could put through balls in or on a wing because. I would never mess up a cross. <laughs> you know, shooting, shooting is a skill. Let's not, let's not diminish that for one minute. Shooting is a skill. You know, if you can yeah. shoot on target and cross, don't, don't. David Beckham made a career out of crossing. Don't you worry <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, he did. But yeah, and I think especially women's football, women's football is very technical and um, you get some, like we've got some incredible players on our team who can just run, one run rings around people and like outscale players and to watch them is incredible and I do sit there on the sideline I go I really wish I could have done that <laughs> that's great that's great it, 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 grassroots football right you, you you began by talking about you know the how importance and happy you were about being able to get back out how important is it for you about grassroots football the passion how important is it in terms of the game itself um, well, I'll put it this way, the entire lockdown, the entire 10 weeks, every day has been focused on grassroots football and growing the game, especially the female, um, the female game. Um, getting back on the pitch um, this evening is, is going to be probably the happiest I've been in the last 10, 11 weeks, um, purely because I get to see, obviously, a select few of our players, because we've got to do it in small groups uh, with the guidance on the FA, um, but just kicking a ball about again. And I know that sounds that sounds really sad in a way because I can kick a ball out in the garden, but be able to kick a ball about with your teammates or your coaches there, it's just having that environment again where and that kind of that club banter where you're all together again. It's like it's like family in a way, and that grassroots football is. Um, but grassroots football has always been a passion of mine, and I think it kind of stemmed from when I went back to uh, my previous club, things didn't quite work out with the manager there and he ended up leaving um, halfway through a season, which kind of left obviously all of us girls in, in a bit of trouble because we had no manager and no coach. Um, so that's when um, Warren actually at the time came in and helped us. I took on all the admin side of it because I was like, I don't want to coach them, I'm a player, but I don't mind sorting out our fixtures and emailing the other managers, um, organising games, that was fine. Um, and I think that's when I kind of started to see the inequality in female football at grassroots. Why weren't we getting the same respect as the men's in that, in that club? Why aren't we getting the same you know, facilities, the same kit? Um, and that's where it really stemmed from. And then obviously Needham Market asked me to come over and it kind of made it my mission. And the club knew this, that we weren't going to be any different. I wasn't going to come to a new club to have the exact same experience of the women's is just a second thought. The girls within it is just a, you know, it's just a tick box exercise. Um, so grassroots football and developing that has always kind of been a bit of my mission when I came back and joined football. Because when you're playing football, and when I was under 14s, 15s, 13s, you don't, you don't see that. Yes, you might get asked like, you're a girl, you, you shouldn't play football. But I, well, me, when I was younger, I kind of just shook it off and was like, ever. like didn't listen to them. Um, but you don't see the, the other side to it, which is, which is more serious, like the funding, the financial element of it all. Um, so that's kind of where my passion for the grassroots kind of stemmed from. Um, 
and I hope that it continues to grow the way it is, really. Uh, it, it's um, thinking about you, what you've just said in terms of the funding, when you look at the top end of the game yeah. and you talk about funding and then you look at the bottom end of the game where you may be at the moment, but not for long. Yeah. Funding is an issue full stop. Um, yeah. And I think it will be for a while. Um, it takes a lot for a club to, and I think it takes a lot and it means a lot for a club to go, actually, we're going to help. You've got Lewis FC, for example, who are the first team in the world to pay their men's and women's equal. Um, all the revenue is completely split. And that's, that, that's inspirational for the other teams and even um, WSL teams and stuff, because that doesn't happen in that league. Um, but it is tricky and I, am, I do understand the situation. I'm not someone that's going to, you know, march around and say, we have to have equal pay and we have to have the same, the same facilities and stuff, when actually, in reality, it doesn't quite work like that because, yes, women's football doesn't quite get the revenue just yet, but it will. But I think it also needs to be respected by um, the male half of the club because, yes, nothing, you can't really get anything from scratch. I mean, the development of the men's game is going for many, many years. Um, you kind of need to, I believe, you need to have men's teams and clubs who will support the women's game financially. There are too many teams where you have a men's and they're very established, they're very successful and they get a lot of profit and revenue come from it. Then they have their women's team who are left to fend for themselves. I think if you're going to introduce a women's team to your club, make sure you are there to support them. Don't leave them to fend for themselves because it will not grow and it will not be successful. And I really strongly believe that I think clubs now need to start realising that the future of football is in the female provision. The, men, the men's league has grown. The men's league has developed in what it is today. And it's a what multi-billion pound like, um, empire, basically. Yes, the women's game is not quite there yet. But I don't think we will ever get there unless we have the support and respect from the men's side. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, and if you, you, you've mentioned a lot about the clubs. Would you um, point that... In that kind of responsibility towards the FA as well? Yeah, I think it needs to be respected as a whole. Um, I mean, for, for prime example, so you've got the Phil Neville situation going on. Well, I was going to um, ask you about that. <laughs> um, and I think it's, I think people are frustrated because Phil Neville got appointed the job. He had no previous experience um, in managing or the women's game, yet because he played for however long in uh, male football, he got the job. Whereas people who apply who've been in the women's game for a long time or they've got the necessary experience didn't get a second look in. So I think that the respect for, from the FA kind of, or the lack of respect from the FA kind of started then. You're giving one of the most prestigious jobs in women's football, English women's football, to someone who has no experience and you're expected for a lot of people to respect that. Like, don't get me wrong, I think he, he did do a good job. I think, could he have done better? Yes. Could they have pointed someone else who had maybe done a better job? Yes, but he wasn't a complete disaster. And I'm really strongly, and I feel like I need to say that he, is, he wasn't a disaster, and I'm not someone who's going to just say, yep, I'm glad that he's gone, because he did do something right. Um, but the, the respect from the FA, it needs to trickle down the pyramid. If you're going to appoint one of those important jobs in female football, English female football, to someone with no experience, what does that look like for the rest of the tiers? 
So does that mean now that in grassroots, yes, we can give someone who's got no experience or yes, we can, you know, have, for example, you wouldn't give a physio to a club who hasn't done a degree in sport physio, would you? Well, <laughs> or if they had no, if they have no idea, or if they didn't even have a first aid, a first aid qualification, you wouldn't that would be wor- that would be worrying. So why is that any different to managing England women? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not, I don't work for the FA, so I'm not going to try and answer that. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? And that's where I think the respect kind of lays. I think they need that they need to set the standard at the top, which then trickle down to the bottom. They do. Uh, next question to that. Do you believe the next England Lioness manager should be female? Um, it would be a great role model if the next manager was female. But I think they need to appoint the best manager for the job, regardless of gender. I would quite happily see a male coach if they've got the right experience and they've proved themselves for that job. I'd be quite happy if like I'd be probably more happy if they're female, yes, because it creates a massive role model for grassroots to look up to and for coaches, even like myself, and go, okay, it's, it's possible. You've got a female managing Women's England. It is possible. But obviously we've had that in the past with Hope Powell. I think they really, what they really need to focus on is just getting the best person for the job, regardless of their gender, because that shouldn't matter. Mm. You know, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm with you there. You know, uh, we can talk off camera about that, definitely, but I'm definitely with you. Um, you mentioned earlier about the, the We Are, mm-hmm. and that's your campaign. Yeah, that, that is my project. Um, it's my life, actually. I won't even call it my project. It's my absolute life at the moment, and I love it. There is not one day where I go, oh, I can't be bothered because I know what I'm doing, and I've had people tell me I love reading. They go, I love reading your stuff. I love the inspiration that you've got from I've got like 10 year old girls from just county leagues and like just fun leagues giving me their their views on their playing experience and making them feel like a superstar for a moment because they've got an article published on my website to then um obviously I've got like semi-pros with Crawley Wasp and stuff getting getting their players to get involved so it's not just because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of spotlight on professional female football, but there's nothing on there's nothing too much on grassroots, and I think that's where the development needs to stem from is grassroots. Um, so giving people, giving um, being able to give people a platform to voice their concerns and to showcase their achievements is great, and it makes me feel good when I see a little girl tweet me and say thank you so much for publishing my thing, and we go well, I've not done the work. They've done it. They've written their piece. They've answered my questions and I've just hit publish. Um, But I'm just trying to be a platform where regardless of your ability or what level you play at, you have have a a place where you can talk about women's football from grassroots or professional. It's more more just, I I want to showcase females that you don't just have to play anymore. There's you know referees there's managers coaches everything so it's more just about celebrating empowering and encouraging more females into game both on and off the pitch nice plug thank you um (laughs) (laughs) um, i wanted to ask you about the referees because i i clicked on one of the tweets you you put out yesterday and the story was about the number of referees that had increased since 2016 
which was great. I thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And obviously I've been to quite a few of the WSL games where some of the refereeing was called into question, um, obviously the pressure. Um, the increase in numbers is great, but the support for the referees needs to be there. It does. And I think um, the referees in the female game got, get a lot of stick because um, they might not be as qualified or they might not be seen as good enough. Um, but like you say, the support needs to be there. And I think they need... I generally, I think I've not, the female players I know, I think they do an incredible job and I know they get stick and sometimes they even referee men's games, but I think they do an incredible job. And if they just had that support and that extra kind of like mentoring, which mm. I believe, I think the FA are putting out now and I know Suffolk FA are doing something similar. It's just giving them um, the support where they can feel like they can make a decision and not be judged on it because of their gender as well. I feel that's still a massive, a massive point for female referees is, is their gender. Um, but, but yeah, I think people do question and say, oh, you know, female referees aren't good enough, but the support isn't there yet. Um, but there are some fantastic female refs out there and I just think they need, they need the opportunity to show themselves on bigger stages. And could you name a few of the, the, the great refs? I, I started following some yesterday. Who did thought. you follow? Um, I think they were linked to this tweet, the tweet, is it Natasha? Natasha Wilson? Natasha Wilson, yeah. Yeah, Suzanne Moynihan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th those are the two that, that stood out from the tweet yesterday. Why did they stand out? It's just interesting to know why they stood out. I don't know. Um, th they were the ones that I clicked on. Okay. You know, because there were, were like four or five and it was quite late. It was quite late. Yeah, they so the the referees um, involved in obviously the We Are campaign. They actually kicked off the whole campaign in January, mm. um, and I think if I were to reach out to more referees now, I'd get more involved. But because obviously the, no one have heard of the campaign, it was very new, um, and they were great to get involved. And they and they saw the benefit from day one. I'm so glad that they, they did. Like Natasha Wilson, you've got um, Stacey Felix as well. Um, she's another incredible referee and I know her husband also refs as well so it's kind of just like a power couple of referees <laughs> um, Anna McLaughlin as well I think they're all they've all shown what they can do in their articles and if you do read them they've got some really inspirational stories and the challenges that they've had to overcome um, and I think just showcasing their journeys will inspire younger girls to want to become a ref um, there's been a there's been a lot of girls, young girls that I know that have taken their their first referees course and they've and they've loved it, and it's just trying to get more girls like that involved. Hmm. Do you know? I'll be honest with you. I I attended a an event not well quite a few months ago. I can't say not that long ago because we've been in lockdown, and um, one of the coaches that I spoke to there, the working with girls football, said that one of the young girls who was eleven that actually put her through the referees. <laughs> coaching sessions or the actual course and then she went on to referee a game uh, at the age of 11 or 12 and I thought that was such a good thing to do and it, it the opportunities right now in football for for boys and girls or primarily girls I think back to my childhood I was thinking no one ever said do you want to be the referee ever no. you know it was like you were either going to be the centre forward or you were going to be yeah. midfield or someone was who, the crazy person said, I'll go in goal. But no one ever said, I'm going to bury the ref. So yeah. 
you know, this is um, it's a really bold step and a really interesting step as well that, that the opportunities are opening up and girls can say, I want to play the game and referee the game as well because so many times, and this is what you hear in the professional football, former professional footballers retire, but no one wants to do the ref training. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone will sit in a studio and go, hey, that referee's crap, he's no good. <laughs> what we need is more, you know, but they don't do the training. But they're not or, willing to do it. <laughs> they're not willing to do it or VAR is rubbish. They need yeah. more players do. But I'm thinking, but no one's done the training. So if you have female referees that are prepared to do it at this stage in the game, you know, it, it, it bodes well because what you'll have a place who understand the game from every angle. So um, it's great. And um, I'm hoping to speak to one of those referees at some point. I'm just letting you know that so you can pass that on. Oh, cool. Nice. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. definitely. Um, you have a nickname or your Twitter handle, which yes. has probably come across this whole time we've been speaking. You've called yourself the, ha the happy gaffer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You've laughed throughout. I hope that's a good laugh. <laughs> it, it is. No, but in, what made you think of that name for yourselves as a Twitter? Or was that something that you were, is it a nickname that someone said, oh, you're the happy gaffer, and you just took it on? Kind of. Um, and I know I'm going to say this, and he's going to absolutely love it. Um, our club photographer, Ben Pauley, actually took a photo. Um, I think it was when it was one of our first ever games um, playing as Needham Market. So it was like 2018, right beginning of the season. It might have even been pre-season. And he took a photo of me on the sideline. And I just looked really happy, like stupidly happy. <laughs> and he sent it to me. He just said the caption, and it was something like, um, happy manager, happy players. And that really stuck with me. And... And I'm, I'm, this is probably the first time he's hearing this, so thanks, Ben. Um, it's one of those things where it stuck with me from that moment up until right now, and I still believe if I'm happy, my players are happy. And then everyone always like, you know, you get the nickname Gaff, you're like Gaffer when you like walk into training. And then I was just like, Happy Gaffer has some sort of ring. And I was like, I've never heard that. I know, I know it's been used, but I've never really heard that term within like the football industry. And that's where it kind of stemmed from. So. Thanks, Ben, <laughs> for kind of putting that mind and that mindset in me. But yeah, Happy Gaffer kind of just came from like a, like a little jokely comment, really. Well, and it I, just stuck. I have to be honest, um, after listening to this, uh, I'll be watching the managers on the sideline and think he's not happy. His players aren't happy. Oh, you can definitely, <laughs> yeah, you can definitely judge. I'll definitely be there and I mean I'm always laughing I mean if we're losing obviously I'm, I'm not not so happy gaffer I'm more of a frustrated gaffer I think um but I'm I'm quite a smiley person and I, I try to be happy most times so right I'm sure you are with the happy gap happy, I can't even say the word happy gaffer <laughs> services your yeah. website your blogs what what do you offer and tell me what it is that you do because I know you write about loads of things, but we'll share those now. So the blog pieces are more just my opinions. They're not linked to um, an FA. They're not linked to the clubs. They're not linked to Needham. Nothing like that. It's purely just my opinion pieces. Um, and I feel as a female manager in the game, it's important that I do voice my opinion as well. Um, and especially since I've kind of created a platform where people do listen 
Um, so I think that's really important. That's all my blog's about. There's, there's nothing more to it than that. It's just the experience of a female manager in a female game. Um, my services is, is, is very new and it's something that I've worked on for quite a while. I have had, um, I am currently working with quite a few clubs, but it's more just branding and marketing is so, so important. And obviously because I work with that every day, um, I kind of, I know the ins and outs of how it works and there's far too many clubs out there who don't take the time to market themselves properly or even brand themselves properly. And I think it's really important, especially to get female participation. You need to look attractive. If you've got no, if you've got no following on social media or you don't post anything and you're not really bothered in a sense about how you look and how you represent yourself to the outside world, you're not going to be attractive to females at the end of that literally it. Um, so I want to offer my services to just to help people create a consistency within their brand um, and how they market themselves online to try and help boost their female positions for starters. But it's not just that I want to just market and full stop. It's some clubs and especially grassroots clubs don't have the funding to hire professional graphic designers or to hire professional, you know, social media analysis and stuff. So I want them, I want to give the option there that help is there at a affordable price should, or if they, if they need it. Um, so that's the brand and marketing side of it all. And then um, because obviously I'm getting quite a lot of traffic to my website and I do feel it's beneficial that I can now advertise for obviously support related businesses um, and do sponsored posts and actually just work with them to help promote their stuff on my site as well. That's brilliant. That's brilliant stuff. We, we may be uh, in touch very soon. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I want to ask you before, because I know you have many other interviews to do today. Uh, <laughs> um, what do you do to relax? Because obviously there's work, which is very demanding. Football is demanding. Being a manager is demanding. Trying to improve yourself for, for the players is demanding. What do you do? to relax and how do you take time out for yourself? Um, well, especially during lockdown, because I've been so full on during the days, um, doing all the football work and the website. I go for a walk once a day. Um, I even put my headphones in and I'll put either the Women's Sports podcast in or um, the Change the Game podcast and stuff. So I do listen to podcasts and I just walk and I'll walk sometimes for half an hour and that'll do me or I'll walk for an hour and a half and I kind of just go where it takes me or forever how long the podcast is going to last for as well um, but also reading I've thrown myself into books recently because I work all day on computers or I'm on my phone doing social media and I'm, I'm constantly looking at a screen and sometimes just to switch off I just pick up a book and read I'll sit in my like my sun lounge where it's nice and quiet it's warm and I'll just I'll just do something other than staring at a screen and that's really all I do to relax other than that I just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, what books are you reading or what books have you read so far? Um, I've read a lot of psychological thrillers and horrors. Um, not, doesn't quite fit with the happy Gavin. <laughs> I was thinking, hello. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't quite fit with that. Um, but I think also I need to remind myself to put my mind elsewhere other than football. Um, not that that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put myself in crime so that I can be normal. <laughs> Why not? Um, but no, I've, I've read quite a few. Uh, quite a few. I think I've read four of them during lockdown. Um, the Mixer, I'm currently reading alongside the book about the adolescent brain and how that works. Um, 
so yeah my my taste in books kind of varies very differently and it also depends what mood i'm in <laughs> okay 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 no tv or film um i've just finished white lines on netflix that was incredible very good if you've not watched it watch it um but yeah i, I don't tend to watch too much telly I know it sounds really bad and everyone's always like, oh, I love a Netflix marathon. But to me, there's only so many hours in a day and there's so much I need to get done. Watching TV is probably the last thing I do. And it is the last thing I do. Because I don't sit down and turn telly on until about nine o'clock, eight o'clock at night. Well, you know, I, I've, I've asked questions about which TV programme uh, an individual may want to place themselves in or a film. But since you don't watch much TV, I won't ask that question. Um, I'm but, but you've said it now, and I'm now. I know. Well, I'll ask you a supplementary question as well, so you can uh, you can answer that one. Okay, go on then. Yeah, no, you can answer that one. I will give you oh, another okay. one in a moment. Um, oh, I don't know now. It's like my books. I watch a lot of thrillers. I don't think I want to be in any of them. <laughs> this is the thing. I was thinking, <laughs> well, I was going to say, what book would you want to be? Oh, no. <laughs> No, because all of mine have horrendous endings. So I don't want to be in them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need so to maybe start. I'll just leave myself out of any TV programme or oh. anything like that. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Oh, my gosh. It has been absolutely brilliant talking to you, Freya. I'm really glad that we were able to get this interview uh, up and running and considering... Yeah. You know, you, you are doing fantastic work and, and in terms of you promoting grassroots football, it's brilliant. And I, I want to make sure that um, this podcast platform can be available to you, not just for you to come back on, but if there's anything you want to share any time about what's happening yeah. in the grassroots, you can. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. I've really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant having me. Well, to be honest, you're, you're the gateway to crime novels. I might have to ask you the, the, the oh, list I've of got books. I've if you want to borrow them. <laughs> no, I have, tr I have trouble watching horror films, you know, let alone reading horror books. So, no, it's okay. Oh, no, I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that can watch a horror film on my own. <laughs> oh, no, we, we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> I'm going <gonna> to <laughs> say thank you very much, Freya, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Right. This was uh, on and off the pitch an interview with Freya Louis, the happy gaffer. Uh, she's off now to go and bring joy to the rest of grassroots football. Bye for now. Make sure you check out the last interview with Bev Priestman. Subscribe and send your questions to on and off the pitch at on and off the PIT1.